Stay inspired on the go with Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast from internationally acclaimed executive coaches, authors and ministers, Albert and Comfort Okran. You will be inspired and challenged with strategies to consistently reach for new heights. And now, today's message. My guest for tonight is highly qualified to speak to the subject. He has written for The Economist, The Washington Post, The Guardian, The Telegraph and The Mail on Sunday in the UK and trained broadcast journalists in Liberia, Sierra Leone and Ghana. He's won over a dozen professional awards and is a two-time journalist of the year. He was a correspondent in Ghana for the BBC for 13 years and Reuters news agency for eight years. He's covered stories from Israel, Mexico, Haiti, Libya, Russia, China, South Korea, Japan, Nigeria, and Liberia. I'm referring to no other person than Kweku Sechiado, executive producer and host of Kweku One-on-One and the Grandmaster of Talk Radio. <laughs> Kweku, welcome to Springboard. I don't know whether you're talking about me or somebody, <laughs> somebody else. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I didn't recognize myself in, How that, you feeling this in that introduction. Uh, I'm feeling very, very good. Thank you very much, Albert. Thank you for inviting me. Today, we want to focus on writing skills. And I get to interview the man who's always on the other side of the microphone. <laughs> Kweku Sechiado, you've interviewed presidents, at least three UN bosses, and American secretaries of state, and people in, in, in media, in sports, and and beggars and coconut sellers and plantain, roasted plantain sellers. And Brookman. Exactly. How does it feel to be the one being interviewed today? Oh, it, it feels awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely know which one is easier. Which, which one is it? I'd love to be at your place. In my position. <laughs> let's, let's, let's walk through your journalistic career. Where did it start from? Did you think you would do this when you were growing up? No, I didn't. Never did. I... What, I, what went I, wrong or right? <laughs> I saw myself as a lawyer um, in my teenage years, early teenage years, when I would daydream, I saw myself as a lawyer, a diplomat, maybe a politician. That's how I saw myself, but definitely a lawyer and a diplomat. Um, I'm not sure whether I've given up on both, on, on them yet. Possibly, uh, possibly not. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly not, but anyway, that, that this is how I saw myself. I never saw myself as a as a journalist. Although I I wrote uh, I wrote and read a lot, um, especially I read a lot of current affairs, world affairs. I read Newsweek cover to cover. Even in my early teens, uh, I knew what was going on around the world, what was going on in Africa, what was going on in my country and my community. I was very socially. Away. Away, okay. Yeah, that's the kind of uh, person I was. So I guess um, there's no surprise then that I, I did become a journalist. And, and then also I wrote, uh, I wrote, I dabbled a little bit of poetry. I like to read Langston Hughes and the uh, American writers, African, especially African American writers, um, the Eldred Cleavers of uh, the of the 60s, Black Power, and so on. Um, and but but uh, uh, much earlier than that, uh, my my uh, grandmom uh, in a Kropong, uh with whom I grew, my my grandmom and my aunt, uh, they they didn't have any education. They were illiterate, and when they needed to write letters, they would ask me. And you know, this was maybe I was in class two or class three, uh, and I'd write you know those say it in P, and I'll write it in English. 
uh, if he was going to somebody like them who may have been literate only in the Bible, they could read the Bible, the tree Bible, then I'd write, I'd have to write it in tree, and I could do that. You write uh, in tree? Yes. Yeah, even that that early, I would write in in tree or in English, and when letters would come, I would read them in whichever language they were written, whether it was in English or in tree, and I would translate. If it was in English, I'll translate from English to tree for them. Um, this was before I was eight or nine. Um, maybe um, that was the beginnings of a, of uh, of of. Uh, of journalism, I I wouldn't know, uh, but I suppose that deep in the recesses of, your of my conscience, uh, I was being shepherded in that direction by um, the forces, by God, by circumstance. Uh, yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we are curious about on Springboard is how early childhood experiences. Um, shape one's career and the the continual battle between the interests of the child and the expectations of family, parents, uh, etc., and societal forces, as it were. How did you deal with those? And and, and when was the turning point? When did you begin to um, shift towards journalism? It was uh, probably I'd say twenty, okay. twenty one. Um, I didn't do very well in my A levels, and it was it wasn't because I wasn't a bright student. I was, uh, you know, there was a bit of dislocation uh, at home, and I think that did uh, uh, affect me somewhat. Um, And um, I sought, you know, I sought counselling. You know, there was a a friend of my parents who was lecturing in at the University of Cape Coast and I spoke to him and I hadn't considered journalism at all and uh, and and uh, I showed him my, my writing because my, my mom told him that I wrote uh, poetry and he says, have you thought of journalism? And I said, no. He says, go and try it. And uh, when I enrolled at uh, the Institute of Journalism, Cabral, uh, me here as my lecturer in journalism, I, I felt like it was like a fish, uh, like tilapia in a fish pond. I just, be, I just belonged. Well. I, I just simply belonged there. I just felt comfortable. I was at home. It was fun. It was pleasure. It was not school. It wasn't tedious, you know. Um, so that that's that set it off. Yeah. So that was the turning point. Sometimes you, you and then uh, sorry, and then you 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 know about you know kids and what. You know the pressures on them and so on. I do think that um, I think it is difficult as parents sometimes to just let the children float, yes. you know, or head towards where they feel their strengths are or they what they want to do. Um, I mean, I don't have teenage kids yet. My older, my oldest child is twelve. Um, she's on the verge of that sort of. Uh, uh, that stage in her life when she's going to have to start making choices. Uh, my son is nine. I have another daughter that uh, that's uh, just 11 months old. Uh, she loves music already. Um, the kids play the piano. My son loves football. Mm. He's passionate. I'm not too sure that he he will be a great player, but if he in 15 years or 20 years becomes a manager, I wouldn't be surprised. Or a football administrator. That's how serious it is. I I would not be surprised at all. He's extremely passionate and knowledgeable 
much more knowledgeable than many, many adults. Are you fulfilled in what you do? Absolutely. I, 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 you know, life is, it's long, but it's short. And I don't think that you should, you should do things that you don't really, really enjoy. You know, it, if you're doing something you're not really enjoy, that you do not really enjoy, um, there's going to be a purpose. There's going to be a reason why you're doing it, perhaps just to learn. Uh, just as sometimes school isn't great fun, but you've got to have that education. So maybe it's for it's to educate yourself, it's to learn for for another for a higher purpose, uh, strategic. But otherwise, you should do what you enjoy doing. Uh, you're more likely to succeed at what you do with ease than that which you do with a struggle, because those who do it with ease will surpass you in a competitive uh, environment. Yes, our listeners would probably, just like me, want to know the person behind the facade, the professional, very well-spoken, structured person. What kind of person are you? What, what are your likes and dislikes? Okay. What are your fears when you but, wake up in the morning? Okay. So first of all, uh, the, there's no facade. You get what you see. You see what you get. Um, I try to be myself. Because um, it's the best I can be. Um, and I'm essentially a quiet person. Deep inside, I'm a quiet person. I, and when I've said that to a few people, they've, they've laughed out loud. Yeah, right. Um, I, you hear me speaking because it's my job. Sure, I do enjoy what I do. Um, but, you know, the grave digger, uh, when his job is done, doesn't like to hang around in the cemetery. He goes home. Uh, but it's a job he knows, you know, it's a job he does, he does it well, and he's happy to serve people who are bereaved and to minimize the amount of digging they have to do, right. uh, figuratively speaking, as well as literally. Um, so, uh, so that's who I am deep inside. Um, I like, I love nature. Um, I love clay. Anything earthy, uh, because that's where we belong. That's where we we'll end up. Um, you know, eventually we get broken up and we just become part of uh, the dirt. Um, and and I say this seriously because you know, when when I you know I don't have much property, but um, the one or two you know plots that I have whenever I do visit you know what I what I feel like doing and this is it's almost a, a um, it's a primal feeling excuse the language but I, I like to urinate I just I don't know where that's from but it just you know it's almost like I'm marking the territory mm. like a dog does it's almost like this is my certification the certification of the property more valuable than the land title certificate the right to do it you know um, it's like this is my space you know can't you smell my urine here are you, are you a centric no I'm not 
uh, I hope not. I, I, I don't know. Um, I suppose eccentrics don't even know they're eccentric. So somebody's got to tell me. Um, so this is mine. Can't you smell my urine? Keep off. I don't need uh, a sign that says trespassers keep away. <laughs> um, so I do like nature. Yeah. Um, I like uh, I like earthy tones and colors. I like calm people. Um, I dislike. I believe in that line in the Desiderata that says. Um, you must avoid loud and aggressive people. They are vexation to the spirit. I believe that. Um, so I, I don't. I, I tend to walk away from loudness, uh, and especially aggressive and loud men. And I do not suffer bullies uh, with my legs crossed and a drink in my hand. Um, That's the person. That. You know, other things you fear. Other things I fear. I worry about. Um, well, there are things that I pray for: uh, good health, because it's not a given. You can do the best you can, but beyond that, the rest is out of your hand. So I. It is the most uh, fundamental good health for my family, for myself, for for my wife, my kids, friends. You know, it's fundamental. Without good health, you know. um, Before I I go on to um, to talk about communication, let me ask you about family. You mentioned family, and that gets me very curious. How critical is faith and family to what you do? Having a family, uh, oh, it's very important. You know, when I when I used to do BBC and sometimes I had to work weekends and so on, you know, I, I combined um, family with the work. So I'd go to do a story and I'd go with my wife and kids, you know. And I think, I thought also it would be a way for them to, A, for us to spend the time together, B, for my kids to get a sense of what I do and for them to... You know, for them also would be some form of education. Um, I can't remember when it was, um, maybe eight years ago, maybe a little more than that. Um, Liberian refugees arriving at Tema Port. Um, I had to go and cover it on a Sunday. I went with the kids, boarded the boat with them. They had never been on a ship before, so I went on the boat with yeah. them, you know, to see these children, uh, parents who were in a bad state and so on. I think, you know, as kids, they may not realize the value of that today or all of those experiences today, but I believe that, um, um, you know, later on in life, um, because it's sitting somewhere deep inside their C drive. Yeah. You know, the hard drive, and one day it will pop up as a, as a, uh, uh, a screensaver. <laughs> I like your choice of words. <laughs> what about faith? Absolutely. I mean, um, we go to church. I have to confess that I'm not as regular as I ought to be. Um, and when I'm not able to go, I try to, to take the kids. Uh, we can't do better. But I think that, you know, sometimes you go to church and uh, I try to make it like once a month. And I try and look out in the schedule for particular preachers, you know, who's, who's 
whose message and teaching um, is, is, yeah, is intravenous. Um, and that's not the case with all of them. Yeah, I, I, you know, once you find your, you find yourself sort of slowly nodding a little bit, it's not intravenous. I'm going to introduce a course in Bible school called Intravenous Preaching, the secret <laughs> to keeping your listeners awake. <laughs> right. Somebody wanted to know that um, if it, w- it could be possible that somebody would be a great speaker but a bad writer or not a very good writer or vice versa and if that was the case um what causes that and how can that be dealt with or prevented okay if you if you're a good speaker but a bad writer i think the it's easier to correct write the way you speak if you're a great speaker just put it down you know write colloquially write as you speak write as though you're talking just put down what you're saying Paul in the Bible described himself as a good a good writer, but not a very good speaker. Now that's a lot more difficult, and there are many people like that. There are many, many people. Many uh, writers are, are not great public speakers. They're not great speakers. Um, and I can understand that. When you're writing, you've got the luxury of time. You have the luxury to think through... Uh, the, 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 you know, you can pick up the dictionary, look up a word. You've got the luxury to think uh, before you 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 speak to, before you write. Yeah. Uh, but when you when you have to speak, you don't have that luxury. Um, I think the way to to manage that is to slow down, give yourself time, right. uh, allow yourself. Uh, to 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 um, to find the right words and the right phrases and the phraseologies. Uh, if you're a good writer but a bad speaker, speak slowly. In your work that you did for BBC and Reuters, did you um, did you do more writing than speaking? I did for Reuters. It was writing. For BBC, it was both. But the styles are different. For BBC, it was more. I was writing the way I would say it. Okay. So you you wrote the speech, right? And then you read what uh, you wrote. the writing, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that when you read it, it sound it has to sound as though you're speaking, not reading. So when you're reading, you mustn't read it; you must speak it, right? With Reuters, it's written, and there are strict rules. For example, you're opening. Your opening paragraph, your opening sentence must never be more than 25 words. The system will reject it. Mm. And that's because your opening line causes news. It's got to be punchy. Mm. Uh, so say, well, the president of Poland died. Yeah. You don't carry on and on and on with his name because it's difficult to pronounce. The president, the Polish president has died. That's it. That's it. That's the story. That's the news. Everybody will stop. What? Every poll, exactly. Then you continue. Then now you can come with his name and the Kaczynski and the strange spelling and so on and so forth, you know, and then and the grief and all of that. But you don't throw so many ideas into one sentence. And what that's one of the keys to good writing skills, you know, to developing a good writing skill. Keep your sentences short. Use simple diction. 
uh, even in, even when you're putting across a complicated idea, when you use simple diction, it's more effective. So short sentence, keep it in, a, in the newsroom, you know, first newsroom I worked in, Ghana News Agency, there was a, a, a notice on the, on the wall, pinned to the, uh, to the wall. KISS, K-I-S-S, keep it's it simple. short and simple. Right. It always works. works. Right. Especially when you're starting out. You know, and Achebe or Shoinka can afford to, to do whatever they want. They, 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 they want, you know, they are... You know, they are like Mozart on a keyboard, so they can afford to do to play around, and pe- they'll still get a standing ovation. Uh, did you get to be trained in the house style of these these organizations? Yes, you do. You initially you start off because maybe you know. Thankfully for me, uh, I was head hunted in both cases, so that they'd read my stuff or had uh, me, and and they liked um, my fundamental style uh, and the way I did I went about my work but then of course then you get trained in the house style you know to suit their particular purpose so um, so my first attempted interview was a disaster and that's where I was attempted uh, I, I interviewed uh, Oswald Boating in a studio in London in 1999 and I went on and on and on. We must have recorded four hours of, of work, of, of interview. We, just, we ran away with it. And, uh, and then I handed it to them at BBC. And I, everybody burst out laughing. Four hours, are you out of your mind? You get to meet yeah. him sometimes these days. <laughs> I'm sorry? Do you, do you get to meet Oswald sometimes these days? I have, yeah, I have met him. Remember next week. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh, and of course for him, I mean, he's not a broadcaster. so He enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. <laughs> You know, he said, wow, I'm going to get four hours on BBC. No, you're not. You know, they were looking for like four minutes. Wow. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> of course, it was difficult to boil four hours down to four minutes. Um, especially nobody would do it. And I didn't have the skill then to do that. Subsequently, I did. I mean, when I went to Haiti, I must have recorded maybe 18 hours of material. And I had to boil the main story, the main feature down to about 15 minutes. You know. Yeah. Now that's tough. Yeah. Uh, the way you do it is uh, you make sure that you catalog properly. You know, you date and you know exactly who you spoke to and what this person spoke about, and you catalog so that you know exactly where to, you kind of dog uh, earmark them, so that uh, you know exactly where to go to. Let me take it two steps back. Mm-hmm. Purpose and audience. Which one has a greater influence on style? That's a deep question. I'll always start with audience. I will always start with audience. I mean, I may have my purpose, right? Uh, I may have a purpose to speak to, uh, to people. Um, but I'm also interested in finding out what do they need? What do they want from me? So, so I, I, I would always put my audience first. I think once I've satisfied them, I can then top up with purpose, my purpose, what I think they should know as well as what they want to know. Let's take Achibi. You talked about Achibi. You talked about two things. He writes English like vernacular, and you mm-hmm. talked about a great sense of humor. Now, obviously, he's writing with the African as the intended reader, I suspect. Even though he writes African, as though African were a language. 
Yeah, and and really, that you know, Achebira is African, um, but his audience is global, global. is universal, because it. And I'm sure that he didn't start out in the early, you know, beginnings like that because he didn't have that luxury. But once he became somebody, people will read an Achebe no matter what. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, um, uh, even if he, excuse my language, he let out wind, people will analyze it. Liter- the literati will analyze it. What he's saying to us. You know, despite the fact he just broke wind, you know, but it's Achebe. All right. It's Achebe. So that comes with time and fame. Absolutely. comes with, with, um, with who it is. Who is it that's seeing this? And that's about the right to speak. Absolutely. That brings me to my next question. Well, words can I, can have I, different value. Right. Depending, depending on, on... Absolutely. Depending on whose uh, parted lips uh, they are emerging from. And so can a writer write about anything? A writer can... Um, or yes, should... Yes, a great, brilliant. So I was just going to say, yes, a writer can write about anything, but should a writer write about anything? The answer to the second part is no. Um, you, should, you should stay with familiar territory, what you know. You know, the, why are you writing about something you don't know? You will never be successful. Nobody, there's no point. But there's a point in writing about your experience because there's only one such experience and it's yours. Nobody else has that. And I'll be, I'll be happy to read your experience. Something you know, something you're familiar with, something you do. So would you say that at the back of every reader's mind is the question, does this, or does this author have the right to speak to this issue? He may have the right. Does he have the authority? Right. The right and the authority. Yeah. So it's right. And then there's authority. Is he, does he have the authority? Does he know enough? Let me ask you, um, in addition to all else that you do, you also act as GM communications for Aquavitans Run, and that means that you get to do corporate communication stuff. Mm-hmm. How different is that from what you do as a broadcaster? It's vastly different. Um, with corporate communications, you know, you're not talking, you're not saying what you want. You're saying, you're speaking for the organization for the company and therefore there's a certain discipline that comes with it and you've got to take yourself out because uh, you're merely a sort of a linguist yes you do help craft the company policy and uh, the strategy uh, and so on but in the end it belongs to the company it doesn't belong to you uh, and so I'm not sure I've ever issued even a press release in which has gone with my name. If you have to do a press conference, not written, but mm-hmm. a press conference, and you disagreed vehemently with management, would you express emotion? Would you? Would you? Would you? No, I wouldn't, um, because um, once the decision has been made by the company, that's the company's policy. That's the company's. Uh, decision and your job is to communicate it as effectively and as passionately as though you originated the idea.
as though you originated the message. That's your job. And of course, at any point when you believe that this does not sit well with you, you can always use the emergency exit. Is there a place for emotion, inspiration, or moods in writing? Absolutely. But not in corporate writing, not in corporate uh, communication. Corporate communication it tends to be a little more um, dispassionate, a bit more cold, a little colder. Although I try to bring a little bit of warmth into our statement when we put them out. And I think there's one out in, I think it must be the Times yesterday, where at Aquavitans Run, we have now developed a short code, a sort of interactive customer message service, where you can text to 1700, uh, one, yeah, 1700, uh, if you've got a complaint, you know, or you want information. Uh, and then, you know, you know you, you're looking for some help or inquiry, and you can do that. Uh, but because it's a text service, I used the text, you know, the short, um, the abbreviations that people use in text messaging. Right. You know, normally a company, a corporate entity wouldn't do that. But as a, we're talking about texting here. So, so the issue of style comes in. Absolutely. So we throw a little bit of style uh, into it, you know, to make the point that, yes, you know, you can text to us like this as well. Thank you, Kweku. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Springboard Zone, an inspirational podcast by Albert and Comfort Okran. Like our Facebook and Twitter pages at Albert and E. Okran and Comfort Okran A for free resources and information about our itinerary, conferences and media broadcast. For speaking appointments, email albert.okran at icloud.com or SMS or WhatsApp us on plus 233-249-99000. You may also subscribe to amazon.com or your favorite online bookstore for copies of our inspirational books and audiovisual materials. Until we come your way again, Always remember, you are blessed indeed. Oh, 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 oh,